We watched a, uh, a really incredible drama play out on the high seas the last couple of weeks, uh, in particular involving uh, this fellow here who was the captain of the uh, American-flagged Maersk ship that was taken uh, hostage by the pirates, and then he gave himself up as an uh, exchange so his men could have their freedom. Uh, while we watched the Navy SEALs bring a very decisive end to this arrogant criminal act, it was the captain of the Maersk ship that really showed what kind of man he was. He had made plans and had drills with his crew because he knew they were sailing through this area where uh, these kind of things happen. And his crew didn't like doing the drills. And they didn't like the old man telling them what to do and so on until the real thing happened. And they had a plan, and they executed the plan, and because of that, they had their freedom. Now, they think he's the greatest guy in the world. (laughs) He's a hero. And he is. Uh, Obviously, we know why he had the uh, discernment to be selected captain. And uh, those are the kind of men that should be in charge of uh, significant things like a cargo ship. They found out, his crew found out, that he takes his role as the person responsible for the safety of the crew and cargo very seriously. In that time, they found out what kind of man he was. And I dare say he'll have no trouble getting respect from his next crew. If I were to ask all of you in this room, and I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but if I were to ask you, are you a follower of Christ? I suspect an overwhelming majority of you would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. And that would be good. But I want to challenge you to look a little deeper today, and I want to ask this question, what kind of disciple are you? What kind of disciple are you? You see, the word disciple in the New Testament simply means a learner. It was used not only of the disciples of Christ, it was used of the disciples of John, of the disciples of the Pharisees, of the disciples of Moses. It was a common word. Um, It would almost be like our word apprentice today. We don't usually use the word apprentice when it comes to philosophical matters, more physical matters. But it would be along that line. Here is a person who has attached themselves to this expert and they are learning. They are disciples of this person. And because that's what the word meant, it was used of different kinds of disciples of Christ. Uh, Sometimes we look at the men who are now called the apostles, and we refer to them as the disciples, and they were, but there were a whole bunch of other folks who were disciples as well. And so I want to ask you three self-evaluation questions, and the first one is this. Are you a self-willed or a submissive-to-God kind of disciple? Um... The principle here is the principle of lordship. And it's communicated to us in a, in a sort of foundational fashion from these words of Christ. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The words follow me or follower were also kind of associated with this idea of discipleship and are used a number of times. 
For whoever desires to save his life or to be self-willed, to hang on to his own design, his own pattern, he will lose his life. But whoever lets go of his self-will and loses his life for my sake, he will find his life. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Now here's a, here's a very short example of this principle lived out with, the, with those men that we call the apostles. And Jesus passed from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now, I don't know if you all know what it meant for a guy to be sitting at the tax office. Let me paraphrase that today. This fellow was an upper-level bureaucrat with a six-figure salary and all the bonuses he could wring out of people. Okay? A little different than our bureaucracy today. Today you have to make a law to wring it out of people. But back then, you had, you just, you know, it was like a commission. Sort of like an AIG executive. He had a base salary and he had a commission based on what he could extort from people. So he's Jewish, but he's well off, and he's well off because of ungodliness. And Jesus comes by and he says, follow me. Boy, he's got a decision to make. Is he going to be self-willed or is he going to follow Christ? He arose and followed him. I, I don't know if I'd have done that. That's a huge decision. That's a huge decision. Look in Luke 19 at another famous tax collector, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. That means he maybe had, uh, you know, upper six-level income, six-figure income. And he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not see the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. He ran down the parade route, if you will, and got up in a tree. And when Jesus came by that place, he looked up, and he saw him, and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. This is the equivalent of Jesus saying, come follow me. So he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, that is other people, the religious people who weren't that happy with Jesus, when they saw it, they all complained saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 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 I give half of my goods to the poor And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Did Zacchaeus get saved because he gave a bunch of money to a bunch of poor people? No, Zacchaeus got saved because he stopped being self-willed and he submitted himself to the known will of God. What's that fourfold thing? Do you know your Old Testament? What was the penalty for stealing? 
give you a clue. Pay it back fourfold. They didn't go to jail for stealing. They had to pay back four times what they took. This man knew the truth. He was also a son of Abraham. He was a Jewish person. He knew the truth, but he was self-willed. He said, I don't care what God says. But there came a time in his life when he saw Jesus face to face, and all of a sudden he said, you know what? I don't care about my old life anymore. I don't want to walk in a self-willed path anymore. I want to walk on God's path. And so immediately he did what was righteous that would demonstrate his, his belief from that Old Testament under which he was living. He was aware of the truth, but he was previously not submitting himself to it. I don't know where you're at in your relationship to God's truth. There's a lot of teaching in the Bible that people don't like. And so one of the real, uh, uh, one of the real popular things to say is this. That's your interpretation. As though the Bible can mean more than one thing. The only problem here is that the word of God is quite plain the vast majority of the time. Salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works. You will, not got, you will not get saved by baptism, neither this one or any other, nor by membership, nor by giving or by any other work, only by believing in Christ who died for your sins. This is plainly taught in the scripture. So the question is, are you self-willed or are you submissive to God when it comes to the truth of salvation? These people here today all said, we have become submissive to the truth of God, both in salvation and in terms of baptism. Elsewhere in God's word, God says, marriage is one man with one woman till one of them dies. He says any sexual activity outside of marriage relationship is sin. Men are to lead, women are to follow in the church and in the home. Gossiping, stealing, uncontrolled anger, gluttony, pride, and laziness are all sins, as are a lot of other things. You can create a sophisticated psychological system to excuse your sin, but it's still wrong before God. You can hypothesize physical reasons for your wrongdoing, but you're still doing wrong. You can fight and argue and rebel against God. You can even join a group of like-minded rebels. But God's word won't change. Not one jot or one tittle. And at the end of the day, the real disciple is the one who submits himself or herself to God's word. The second self-evaluation question that I want to ask is this. Yeah, I thought I'd put that scripture on there. Here's the second question. Are you a gone in 60 seconds when hardship comes or a going all the way no matter what kind, no matter what, kind of disciple are you a gone in 60 seconds when hardship comes or are you a going all the way no matter what kind of disciple from matthew 13 we read these words from the parable of the sower you remember what jesus said uh, the word of god is like seed and the person who is ministering this is like the the, the the person scattering seed so that's the sower the seed is the word of god Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. But he who received the seed on stony places. See, Jesus talked about several different receptions. I'm just going to focus on one for today. He who received the seed on stony places, this is the one who hears the word, and immediately he receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now this is in contrast to this kind of receiver. But he who received the seed on good ground, that's the one who hears the word and he understands it and he bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. This is the person who goes all the way no matter what. This is the person who is gone in 60 seconds when hardship comes because of tribulation or persecution because of the word of God, immediately he stumbles. What we see in these verses is two contrasting receptions to the truth. Jesus said some people respond to the truth of God, and we've heard the truth of God uh, seven times today, and we're going to hear it an eighth right now. Some people respond to the truth this way. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God who took on a human nature and died to pay the penalty of my sin. Yes, I believe. But as soon as hardship comes, or as soon as someone criticizes their newfound faith, they turn back. Imagine someone who comes here to our church, or to the youth group, or to our Awana children's ministry, or to the men's breakfast that we had yesterday, or the mother-daughter tea is coming up in a while. And I know at the mother-daughter tea, they're going to hear a tremendous story of how God has worked in a mother and a daughter, with the daughter facing a life-threatening physical condition, and and how faith in God sustained them through that. And, and, and I can imagine that women are going to go, man, I want that kind of faith. They're going to hear that, and they're going to sense the love of God in the people, as I hope you sense it in our gathering today. And you're going to say, I want that new life. And so I will believe in Christ. And they go out of this building rejoicing. And their close loved one says to them when they hear about it, What? You went down to that Baptist church and got religion? What's the matter with you? What have they done to you? I've heard about that Lunsford. He's a crazy man. He probably kept you there till 12, 15, 12, 20, and you had to believe in order to get out the door, didn't you? <laughs> Are you going to be some kind of right-wing fanatic? Or their buddy or their BFF says... You're still coming to the party Friday night, aren't you? Dude, it's going to be wild. And they wake up the next day. Maybe they have a pain in their chest that hasn't been there before. And they go to the doctor and he says, you've got a problem. And it's significant. And they look back at the decision they made at that women's meeting or in church or by their own bed. And they go, you know what? Where is God in my difficulty? Where is, why would these people criticize if this is such a great thing? And they think about it for a while. They go, nah, nah. Sounded like a good idea, but nah. Now, just so you understand, what God says is those people never were in Christ. They were not in Christ and then lost it. Or God somehow, you know, God talks about us being in his, his hands. That wasn't created in the song or in the Allstate commercial. It was created in the Bible. God says we're in his hands. And God's fingers are not separated so that a few folks slip out. No, what he says is there are folks who come and, and they come to a certain 
level of belief, but it really isn't true belief. And when the difficulty comes, they go, can't do it. Not, not worth it. And so they go back to their old life. Contrast that with a man in Madrid, Spain, today, in the hospital, a believer in Christ, who's been in the church where we support Larry and Roseanne Thornburg for some time. This man has been a disciple for a while, and his wife recently left him for another man. Then he developed acute kidney failure. And just uh, a week, about a week ago, he got word that a transplant was available, and he went to the hospital for the operation. But shortly after he awoke from the hospital, there were complications and swelling and difficulty that comes with that kind of thing. Sounds like one of those bad to worse stories. And how is Alberto spending his time in the hospital? How about this? He's sharing Christ with the nurse who is an old friend of his who thinks he knows the Lord but truly doesn't. And he's sharing with him how good the Lord is and, and what, a, what a blessing it would be for him to know the Lord. Is that how you spend your days of difficulty? That's a going all the way no matter what kind of disciple. Not the kind who says, oh God, if you bring my wife back, then I'll follow you. Oh God, if you take this kidney problem away, I'll follow you. No, it's the kind that says, God, you have the words of life. Where else can I go? And so he's used by God. That is a true disciple. There's a third question I'd ask you today. Are you a self-serving or a self-denying, Christ-serving kind of disciple? Listen to these words of Christ. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. You know who, these people, who this is talking about, right? It's talking about the folks that were sitting there when he fed the 5,000, and then another time when he fed the 4,000. And uh, they, they were just following Jesus because he was what's happening now. No movies, no TV, no radio. Hey, there's a big, hey, there's this guy, man, and he heals people and stuff. Yeah, let's go. And they all followed him out in the desert, and then they all got hungry. And Jesus compassionately fed them, but he didn't feed them out of compassion, did he, class? He fed them to say, look, do you realize who you're dealing with here? <laughs> I can take five loaves and two fish, and I can feed 5,000 men, which means there probably were another five or 10,000 people there. They only counted the men. I can take five loaves and two fish and feed 15,000 people. Do you realize who this is? This is the God of the universe. That was the intent. What did they see? Free food! Hit the welcome room after church. <laughs> Come to the men's breakfast. It's by offering only. Come to the Easter breakfast. There's not even an offering. Or maybe there was. I, I don't, okay, there was an offering. Yeah. There's so many people, they won't see whether you give or not. There are people like that. And Jesus said, look, I know... <laughs> They weren't fooling him. I know you're following me for what you get. And he said, don't do it. Because the food that you can touch and taste and handle, it perishes. 
and the results of it in you perish, but there is food that is eternal. It's the word of God. He said, go after that. These folks were willing to follow Christ if he would feed them. This is still a, this is a, a specific challenge in our foreign missions today. We, none of you are coming to church because we're going to feed you later. I, I understand that. Some of the kids might be because of the cookies. But. but you know, in a place like Togo, where our missionaries hire people to work for them, it's entirely possible that somebody puts on a good Christian front so they can have a job because it's a good steady income. Uh, in places like Bangladesh, uh, where free education is given away, where free food is given away, it's entirely possible and likely that some of those people are there just for the food that perishes. In our country here, it's more of a problem of people who get disillusioned with the Lord. Hey, I came to Christ and I said, Christ, will you fix my problem? And he didn't do it. Now, come on. And because they think they have the right to self-determination, they go back. They give up. Many people want help for some facet of their life, but they don't really want Jesus and all that he brings. Now, here's a guy in the Bible who got it. But he started out on the wrong side, and he came to the right side. Listen to this. Now, when the evening had come, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before Sabbath, when Christ was hanging on the cross... That's the time we're talking about. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, that is, he was part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage. Have you noticed that before? He he screwed up his courage. (laughs) And he went into Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple, and I'm I'm reading from several of the Gospels, I'm synthesizing their accounts. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to the decision to kill Christ. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Now, we understand several things about Joseph of Arimathea. This is not Joseph, the father of Christ. This is another man who was a council member, probably what we would call a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, but he had come to believe in Christ, but did you see that secretly? You know, maybe he had a secret handshake with the disciples, but boy, not in public. Now, he was public enough to not agree with the Sanhedrin when they said, we're going to crucify Jesus. He had not gone along with that. But he was kind of a secret agent. But when it came to this time, he just said, I'm done with the whole secret agent thing. I'm going to go, I'm going to come out of the closet, as it were, of Christianity, or come out of the closet of, of disbelief, 
And do you understand what he did? He had a brand new tomb. And if you don't, if you don't understand this, maybe some of you from the south do. In places like Louisiana, they have these big above-ground uh, mausoleum-type places, and they, they will put multiple members of a family in there because God, through nature, causes decomposition, and you can keep putting people in. And that's what they did. Now, he didn't hew the tomb himself. He paid for that to be done. But he had a new family tomb ready. He was making his final arrangements. And what does it mean when you take Jesus of Nazareth and put him in your family tomb? Well, that's just the same as you going, Hey, everybody! Me and him, we're connected. That's coming right out. That's coming right out up front. That's being, not being self-serving. That is being self-denying and Christ-serving. It's self-serving to protect yourself. It's a natural inclination that we have. There's no doubt about that. And, and certainly in our society, we want to protect ourselves socially, or maybe we want to protect ourselves in terms of a job. And so we kind of shirk back. We don't get real up front as a Christian. This, that's what this guy was doing. But it came to a day when he said, that's it. I'm done with that. I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to be out and out for him. I talked with a, a troubled soul recently who really needs the healing and forgiveness and restoration that only Christ can give. But when we came to the point where I said, do you want to believe in Christ? Well, I will, but. I will believe, but I won't do this. That person has designed their own life and they believe they know what is best for their life. And so they're willing to believe in Christ if they can add it to their own plan for their life. Christ says, no. You're either going to be self-serving or self-denying. One of the two. And what really needs to happen is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price he sold all that he had and bought it. Christianity, a relationship with God through Christ needs to be like that. I'm going to sell everything I have in terms of personal belief systems, in terms of trust, in terms of control, and I'm going to put it all with Christ. It's the exact opposite of a good stock investing scheme. A good stock investment advice is spread it around. Be careful. Hedge your bets. God says, no, put all your eggs right in one basket. Well, I went to the physical therapist this week for my second appointment. And uh, I'm about nine weeks after surgery on my shoulder. And he continues to marvel at my recovery, but he cautioned me to be careful. No heavy lifting. That's why I had timber in the baptistry. He said, greatest temptation will be to do some, think you can do something and you can't and you'll hurt yourself. I did have some plumbing I had to do yesterday to keep my marriage intact. <laughs> Couldn't really do that either. I had to call a real plumber. But he was talking, we were talking about different things that I do and how I try to be careful. And, and he said, 
when's your next doctor visit? And I said, well, it's like the beginning of June, and that's, that's the day at which the doctor says you're supposed to be healed, more or less. And so the physical therapist, he says, well, that's when you can start to do some kayaking or windsurfing or things like that. And I said, really? Wow, I never could do that before, head surgery. <laughs> Jeez. wrong with you mister can't you tell that i am not that kind of guy now i could have said yeah yeah i'll get back to the sea kayaking then i could have pretended i was some great athlete you know what i said was well maybe then i can start building my fence you know that's where i get my hobby exercise if you will i don't pretend to be an athlete because i'm not It would be a complete fabrication for me to call myself an athlete. question I want to ask you today is, is it a truth or a fabrication when you call yourself a disciple? More importantly, what kind of disciple are you? I pray that God will will use these questions and the Scripture to clarify your relationship with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us into your family. Thank you for taking away our sin. Thank you for giving us the courage to be real disciples. Father, we, I confess it's easier to read some of these examples than it might be to live them out. Boy, Matthew, Matthew left all and followed Christ. And Joseph put his whole world on the line in order to follow Christ. May it be true of us. May we be that committed to Christ. Thank you for the blessings of this day. Continue to use the ministry here in the lives that are here. I pray in Christ's name, amen.